God, we give you all the praise and the glory this morning. But the battle belongs to you, and we know we will see a victory. A victory in our hearts, a victory in our minds, a victory in your church. We're grateful for it. Lord, we give you all the praise. We pray in your name. Amen. You can be seated as you're seated. Normally, I'd be dismissing our kids right now, but I will not be doing that today because this is the fifth Sunday of the month. And we keep the kids in here and do a family service because we are a family church. I'm not sure if you've noticed, we got a lot of kids in here. And last week, we had a bunch, and it was great to, to be able to see them all go. As a matter of fact, in that room where the curtains are normally at, we had 16 kids in that room by itself. So um, the teachers are like, thank you for keeping them in service this week. So uh, I'm excited they're in here. I hope that you are as well. Feel free to make noise. It doesn't bother me at all. Um, we are finally at chapter 7. We've made it. We made it to the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you've been with us through the Sermon on the Mount, you know we started this back uh, at Labor Day. We started our Living the Good Life sermon series. But we even, during the summer, did our flipped sermon series, which focused specifically on the Beatitudes, those first 12 verses of the Sermon on the Mount. So we've been doing this now since the beginning of June. We are cruising into the end. It'll be over at the end of November. And I'm excited about it. I hope that you are as well. Uh, one, because, man, it has been a challenge. And today is going to be no different because we are in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, you may or may not know this, but every commentary that I read and every study that I read said that Matthew 7, 1 is probably the most misunderstood and misinterpreted but also most often quoted verses in the Bible. So good luck today as we dive in. That's the first thing I thought. Do me a favor, if you haven't already got to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, go there in your Bibles, go there in your digital device, because we are going to read this together. Here's what it says. Three words that you will hear often. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. Verse 2. For you'll be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your own eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite! First take the beam of wood out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. This is a passage and a portion of scripture that is, like I already said, frequently referred to, often quoted, but like the rest of the Sermon on the Mount and the rest of the Bible for that matter, we read it and we quote it, but sometimes we take it out of context and we have to take it in context to fully understand it let me give you some examples outside of this passage that maybe will put it in perspective for you did you know that in psalm chapter 53 verse 1 the 53rd psalm it actually says there is no god did you know that it says that in psalm 53 1 now, if you take that particular set of phrase, that wording out, pluck that out, and you hold on to that as true, you're going to miss what the rest of the context and the rest of that verse says. Because it actually says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. 
They are corrupt and they do vile things. There is no one who does good. We have to understand that context matters. We can't just pluck something out and hold on to it as true. Let me give you another example. Paul actually says to the church at Corinth these words, I can do whatever I want to. I can do whatever I want to. As a matter of fact, he says it to him twice, once in 1 Corinthians 6 and once in 1 Corinthians 10. Now, if you just take that out, which I've heard people actually say those words before, I can do whatever I want to. If you just take those out and hold on to it, you're going to be misinterpreting and missing the context because in the context, what Paul says is that everything is permissible, but not everything's beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. Context matters. Here's another one. You've probably heard this one a time or two before. Matthew 18, 20. People use this one often to say, hey, it's okay for me to miss church because where two or three are gathered, I am there with them. That is Matthew 18, 20. The problem is that verse actually has nothing to do with church. It actually has to do with us confronting a believer who's in sin. Because right before that, Matthew 18 says, you need to go to that brother. And if you can't build up the courage or you're afraid to go and confront somebody in the sin that they're in, don't worry because where two or three are gathered, that's where I'm at. That's what that verse actually means. But some people took that to say, oh no, it's fine. As long as I, I can miss church, I can, I can do what I want to do. As long as I get together with two other three people, that's the same thing. It's not. The church is an important institution for us to be a part of and to be connected with and to sacrifice and to serve. That is what the church is about. But when you take it out of context, it's very dangerous. As a matter of fact, I say that because if you grab any verse, any verse at all, and make a part of that verse what you want it to be when you leave it out of context, it's dangerous. A misunderstood or a misinterpreted truth is dangerous, especially in the hands of a believer who doesn't understand. So let me give you a little bit of context, a little bit of background as we approach Matthew 7. If you've been with us along the way, you may have noticed that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is doing some specific things. He is touching on all the areas of a believer's life. We've said this before and I'll say it again. He's not telling us how to become a disciple and a follower of him, but instead he's showing us what the characteristics of a disciple who follows him are. So if you're becoming a disciple, if you are a disciple, these are the things that are going to show themselves in your life. So we began with challenging our perspective on how we see ourselves. Are you poor in spirit? Do you mourn over sin? Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Then he changes and goes, you know, how do you see the world? And he makes a statement about being salt and light in a world that is dark and decaying. How do you see the word of God? And he talks about the fact that it is immutable and unchanging. How do you see moral law and holiness as you discuss the fact that, that many people try and wear it on the outside, but really it's an inward commitment that we're making that flows to the outside. He talks about a perspective on religious activity. Why do you give? Why do you pray? Why do you fast? And he expanded to talk about, about the money and the possessions and the material goods that come with that. He's changing our perspective. And now he comes to the part of the Sermon on the Mount where he's talking about our perspective and how we see other people. We're going to talk about that both this week and next week. Next week's the golden rule. Treat others as you would want to be treated. This week we're looking at how we judge. And so up to this point we've looked at how we relate to ourselves. We've looked at how we relate to God, how we relate to his word, how we relate to the world. Now we're looking at how we relate to others and what that right relationship should look like. Here's something else we've tried to uh, communicate as we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. 
Something else we've looked at is Jesus is teaching in contrast, in comparison to what the Pharisees and the scribes had been teaching. They were the religious influence at the time. And he was challenging their thinking and challenging their teaching and using that teaching as a background to present the actual truth instead of the twisted truth that they were throwing out there. See, their lives were full of pride. But Jesus says it's about being humble. Their lives were a part of this world. And Jesus says, no, no, it's not being a part of this world. It's being light and salt in this world. They denied the word of God and established their own truth. They basically lowered the bar and Jesus reestablishes the foundation of his word and says, no, it is in God's word alone that we find our trust and our hope. They believed in external morality, making it look good on the outside. And Jesus says, nope, it's your heart. It's internal. They acted out religious activities in a, what we'll call it, hypocritical, because that's what Jesus called it, way. They were superficial. And Jesus said, no, again, it's from the heart. Their preoccupation was with money and possessions. And Jesus said, no, be preoccupied with the kingdom. So he's changing all of this. And we see now that the Pharisees also have a real problem with relationship with others. That's why he says, do not judge. That's the context we have to see this in. That's how we have to bring all of this together. Because the Pharisees and the scribes, they had an attitude and a lifestyle that we've already seen throughout all of this. They'd come to the point of their lives where they were proud. They were self-righteous they were smug they were convinced of their own self-righteous superiority and the natural result of that is you become condemning and judgmental of those who aren't like you the truth is anytime any person invents a system of morality that they set the bar that they set what truth is and what truth is not then they become the judge that sits on the throne and they are the ones that determine whether or not anybody else qualifies or not. That's where we find the Pharisees. That's where we find Jesus saying, do not judge. They become oppressive and judgmental people, condemning and criticizing. They have, they have basically become the ultimate fact checkers of the day, if I'm allowed to say that. And in it, they were unmerciful, they were unforgiving, they were unkind, and they lacked in grace. They criticized everyone who didn't meet their standard. Have we seen that still in churches today? The unfortunate reality is, is yes. We have seen that and we have to be careful with that and that's why Jesus says, do not judge. But the thing is, this wasn't the only time that Jesus said this to the Pharisees. He, he confronted them multiple times on this issue. As a matter of fact, John chapter 7, verse 24, he says these words, stop judging according to outward appearances, rather judge according to the righteous judgment. Notice how he said to judge he said judge rightly it was their habit to judge in a very superficial manner based on their own standards instead of God's righteous judgment if you go to Luke chapter 16 verses 14 and 15 you see that the Pharisees loved money and Jesus says this the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things as Jesus is teaching them you know what they did they scoffed at him they scoffed at him because their religious view of themselves was like, you don't have to tell me these things. And he told them, you are the ones who justify yourself in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight. He's basically saying, hey, you know you think you have the answers. You know you, you think you've got this system down. You know you think that you are the judges, but guess what? You're wrong. You're wrong in this. Their judgment was inevitably the reverse of what God's standard actually is in his judgment. 
they thought their good was good enough. But it wasn't. As a matter of fact, if you go back in the Sermon on the Mount to Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus lays it out as he's teaching. He says these words, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Which, of course, leads to that question that we asked a while ago. How good is good enough? What is good enough? If I have to be beyond the scribes and the Pharisees, what is good enough? And Jesus answers that question in Matthew 5, 48, just a few verses later when he says this, Be perfect. As, as therefore as your heavenly father is perfect that's the standard how do we meet that standard well see that the pharisees practice their righteousness before men in order to get praise from men and then they use that same righteousness to hold others down god said no 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 be righteous in your heart seek first the kingdom of god the kingdom can be found when we are poor in spirit when we mourn over our sin when we hunger and thirst after righteousness when we lay ourselves down at the foot of the cross and say god this life of mine is dead you have brought it back to life it is yours that is the response that we have that we hunger and thirst for him in that way so in this context we have to remember the crowd that is sitting around they've been taught by the pharisees they've been taught by the scribes but they're being told something completely and totally different. The, the whole idea of what they thought they knew has been flipped. And they witness all these things and now everything's in question. So you have Jesus on one side and on the other, this group of leaders saying, hey, that guy thinks he's good enough, but he's not us. So there's this battle that is there and really they're saying to themselves, we're good at keeping our rules and that guy, he doesn't. We see multiple times that he does things like heal on the Sabbath or, or do different things along those ways that, that they say that, that's not right. And so this is a constant, constant confrontation, a constant tension that is taking place. As a matter of fact, if you do me a favor, just flip over to Luke chapter 18 for just a second. I know I said we're in Matthew chapter 7 verse 1, but, but these two will tie together. Luke chapter 18 verses 9 through 14, Jesus is telling a parable. And he's telling a parable specifically about the Pharisees. You know how I know that? Because in verse 9, it actually says he's telling a parable specifically about the Pharisees. It, it says this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they looked down on everybody else. That's what verse 9 says. He's about to tell a story about those kind of people. But if you were to give two verses to those kind of people, it would be Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. He would say, don't judge based on your self-righteousness. Don't measure people by your self-righteous standards and your works because God is going to measure you by his standards and your standards are not going to measure up because your good is not good enough. Don't be prideful. Don't think you're better than somebody because you're different than somebody. Don't think because you think you have it figured out that somebody who doesn't is not going to heaven. That's where it picks up here in verse 10. And I'm going to make it a little bit more personal for us today. A little bit more interactive. It says this in verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. I want you to picture it this way. Two men were hanging out at Paragon on a Sunday. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. One came knowing the culture of church. Knowing what church is supposed to be like. And one was just trying to figure this whole thing out. Didn't quite get it. Had been partying all Saturday night. But said, God, I got to do something different. And they walked into church on that Sunday morning. Verse 11, the Pharisee, the guy who's a member, he's going to membership class. If you haven't yet, you can come today. 
He, he goes to Connection Group. We have them all throughout the week. Make sure you get plugged in. He gives money in the tithe and offering box. The Pharisee that is there, he's, he's different. As a matter of fact, he was standing and he was praying like this about himself. It says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. Now, if you take that, at first glance, really that's not a bad prayer. We can be thankful that we are not greedy and unrighteous or adulterers or even like the sinners that we know. But we're not thankful because we've done something. We're thankful because God has done something. And we're thankful to him that he is changing us from the inside out. If we take a different approach and say, look what I've done, like he says here in verse 12 when he says, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything that I get, we have to be careful in building a resume thinking that God is going to like you more because you do things to impress him. There's no point in time that we go to God and say, hey God, aren't you glad you're, I'm on your team? You need me. That doesn't happen. He is glad that we're on his team, but it's not because he needs us. It's because we need him. And we have to see that from this perspective. So we have to be careful and remember that our good is not good enough. That we are all broken people. I'm not sure if you're a K-Love listener or a Family Life radio listener, but there's a song by Danny Goki that's out there that, that says, we all need Jesus. So I'm just going to take a couple of his lines and, and share it with you. It says, we're all broken people. And I'm not going to sing it for you, by the way. Don't we all need Jesus? Every moment of our life, 24, 3, 6, 5. Our human is equal. Don't we all have our weakness? Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody needs that grace. We all need Jesus. When we hear that and we see that, we apply that to our lives and say, that changes me saying, I'm not like that tax collector. I'm grateful I'm not like that, but it's not because of anything I've done. As a matter of fact, verse 13, Jesus in the parable says, but that tax collector, that wicked sinner, if you know anything about the Bible, you know it's always sinners and tax collectors. They don't even get lumped into the sinners category. That's how bad they are. Who is it in your life that is the same way? Who do you see that is worse than just even a sinner? Who is that person? What is that, uh, whatever thing that they're dealing with, whatever thing they're struggling with, that tax collector was standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know what we call that? We call it repentance. We call it laying ourselves down. Our slogan is, come as you are. Guess what that tax collector was doing? Coming just as he was. Broken. Mourning over his sin. He didn't clean up first, but he realized that he was a sinner and he was crying out to God for mercy because he knew that was the only way that was going to happen. And he hungered and thirsted after God's righteousness. Verse 14 says, I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself, everybody who thinks they've got it all together because they've built the bar and they have set that and they've become the judge themselves, guess what it says they're going to happen? They will be humbled. However, the one who is humbled and humbles himself acknowledges his sin, believes that God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin on your behalf, that you might become the righteousness of God, guess what? They will be exalted. That is an important story and the reason why I share it with you is because of this. Because what Christ is saying here in Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 is, is you have to quit telling people who are not like you that they're not good enough because they're not like you. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of works. Why? So we can't boast. It is a gift from God. As a matter of fact, 
not sure if you're aware of this, it's Reformation Sunday, uh, the weekend that, that Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses to the door. Yesterday, Bruce and Mitchell, they uh, nailed uh, 95 reses to my door of my office. You're more than welcome to take one of those on your way out today to remember that in honor of Reformation Sunday. But Reformation Sunday pointed out five things to us, and they're up here on the screen behind me. They're called the five solas. It is this, the Bible alone or Scripture alone. That is where we find our hope. That is where we find the, the truth of God. We don't add to it through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. That is where we are. And we have to remember that as we come into these relationships. There is no boasting. There is no self-righteousness. Nobody gets to say, look how good I am, which brings best back around to our passage today of do not judge. Do not judge and sometimes, like I said, we take it out of context because we miss the rest of it is, is we do not judge based on our own self-righteousness. In the context of the passage, we have to remember there's a group of people who thought they were better, who thought they were righteous and in them because of their own abilities. They thought they were better because, well, people just aren't as good as them. And Jesus is confronting them. They thought because of their outward works they were good and Jesus was accepting them. But God, again, he looks at the heart so what we need to see here in this passage today is that Jesus does not say, don't ever judge. Why do we know that? Well, because throughout his ministry, he judges. He calls sin, sin. He calls out false prophets. He calls out hypocrites. Even in the passage that we've read, he calls people dogs and pigs. So there's judgment that is taking place, but that judgment is not based on our self-righteousness. It's based on his Standards. He also says this, don't just be accepting of everything. He says, no, don't just not discern. D don't not evaluate somebody's actions. Don't even not judge someone's behavior. We are called to call sin, sin. We are called to discern between good and evil. We are called to, to, to discern between right and wrong, good fruit and bad fruit. That's where we find ourselves. But what he is doing here is he's saying, I want you to distinguish between acts of judgment and being judgmental. Acts of judgment and being judgmental. Not looking down on somebody with a self-righteous spirit or attitude. Because as Christians, I'm just going to say it, it's dangerous and easy to go, well, you know what? I'm living the Christian life seriously and they aren't, so therefore I can judge them. We have to be careful with that. Being judgmental means you attempt to play God when you're not. Being judgmental means we lose our perspective and fail to see the reality for what it really is, for who God is and for who we are. We see through Pharisee glasses. We see through our own standards. And Jesus tells us in the passage today, when that happens, there's three big characteristics that lay themselves out. The first thing is, he says, you know, the first characteristic of being judgmental in spirit is, is you're foolish. You are foolish. Look back at verses 1 and 2 of Matthew chapter 7. Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you'll be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you'll be measured by the same measure you use. Now, if you go back to our Sunday a couple of weeks ago when we talked through prayer, remember how I told you last week, all this stuff links together? When Jesus was talking about prayer, one of the things he said is, is forgive us our sins as we forgive the, those who sin against us. Or forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are, are in debt to us. That same forgiveness works here with judging. We should expect to be treated by God in the same way that we treat others. That's forgiveness, that's mercy, and that's judgment. See, showing mercy to someone is truly an act of wisdom. Because 
it flows from a recognition of the mercy that God's shown you and the mercy that God has shown me. Judging harshly is foolish. Why do I say that? Well, foolishness defined means this, lacking good sense or judgment. What is good sense? Well, good sense would be at least having some small understanding of the grace that God has shown you, and we should pass it on to others. The second thing he says here is that we're prideful. Prideful characteristic of judging somebody else. Verse 3 and 4, why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. How many times have we heard somebody say that? when we're judging somebody. Hey, look at the plank in your own eye. That's our typical response because it's true. We cannot be unaware of the sin that is in our own, own lives. We are great at minimizing our own faults and exaggerating the faults of others. Why do we do it? To make ourselves look better, to make ourselves feel better. And Jesus is calling that out, that self-righteousness out. See, there's a story in the Bible that perfectly illustrates this. It's found in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 17. You probably have heard it if you watch VeggieTales. It's about a rubber ducky. It's a little bit different here in this because it's about a sheep. There's a poor man who had one sheep, one lamb. And a rich man was going to throw a party and he goes and he steals that sheep. He slaughters that sheep and he takes it for his very own. The prophet Nathan is telling King David this parable. And the response of King David was, that man deserves to die. Little did he know that as he is committing this sin with Bathsheba and all the things as he took Bathsheba's husband, sent him to the front lines and had him killed on purpose, which is murder. When he does that thing, He's completely unaware that the two stories relate. So Nathan brings it all back around to him and says this, you are that man. He is aware and made aware that in his sin that he is now judging somebody who's done something less even than him. Before we burn with self-righteous anger towards others, we have to take spiritual inventory and inspect our own lives and our own hearts first because there's a pretty good chance there's gonna be a log that we've missed. There's a pretty good chance there's going to be a log that is causing us not to be able to see clearly. We need to be as critical to ourselves as we are to others, and we need to be generous to others as we are to ourselves. That's what needs to happen. So first, the characteristic is, is a foolishness. The second is prideful, and the third one is hypocritical. Now, how do I know that it is hypocritical? Well, because verse 5 says, hypocrite. Jesus pretty much lays it out there. It wasn't a hard point to come up with. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. See, the height of hypocrisy is to correct someone's small sin when you are swimming in a cesspool of your own. That is the height of hypocrisy, especially when we do it from a judgmental point of view. And I say that judgmental point of view because, again, Jesus doesn't say don't correct someone on their sin. But first, when you do correct somebody in your sin, come with grace and mercy and humility because you are a sinner too. We all are sinners in need of grace. You can speak the truth, but do it in love and humility and grace. Speak the truth, but do it well. When we deal with ourselves first, when we deal with that log in our own eye, I truly believe we get the proper perspective. 
We see them for who they are because we know who we are. We can approach somebody rightly. Um, I wrote this down. It was, I can't remember which commentary I got it from, but it said proper inspection needs to come after proper introspection. After we look at our heart, not out of pride or self-righteous attitudes, but instead out of humility. So that's the first five verses in context. And then Jesus throws in this kind of odd sixth one where he says, hey, by the way, now you can judge. It's kind of a, a weird way to look at it, but he takes five verses specifically to tell us about this do not judge, but when you need to, here's what you need to do. Verse six, he says, be discerning. Judge properly. He says, don't just ignore the faults of others and pretend like everyone is the same and everyone is good. Because there's people out there who are wild dogs and pigs. And he tells us what to do with them. Verse six says this, don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet. Turn and tear you to pieces. Now this is an interesting way to, to wrap up a sermon on do not judge. And it's an interesting way to really wrap up that part of the passage before he goes into how to treat others with the golden rule. Because what Jesus is actually saying here is you have to judge. You must judge. You must discern who the dogs are. You must discern who the, the pigs are. And he tells what, what those kind of people are. Now I'm going to use my dog as an illustration here, but please know that Jesus was not talking about your pets. He was talking about wild animal pack dogs that will tear you apart. They are there to kill, steal, destroy. They don't care who you are or what you are. They don't make differentiations. Now this is the reason why I'm telling you this. They have something in common with dogs still today. They don't give value to much. I love my dog. He gets all my table scraps. He sits at the door. He hears my chair scoot back and he starts slobbering. It's that Pavlov's dog thing. I mean, he literally does. He gets super excited. But it doesn't matter if I'm eating a hot dog or if I'm eating steak. He doesn't differentiate between the two. All it is is something I'm throwing out there and generally he doesn't even taste it because he doesn't chew it. He just swallows it whole every time. And, and that's what Jesus is talking about. Don't be throwing out the good value to people who don't recognize it and don't care. He's saying, make sure that you're doing that and you have to be aware of that. And then he even goes on that and says, here's your pigs. Well, you know what pigs are? Pigs are pigs. They are not clean. Anytime you read about them in the Bible, they wallow around and we're going to call it mud, but that's not mud there, Chucko. They wallow around in mud and while they do that, they eat slop. And you know what? They like it. They like it. They don't care what you give them, and they're not careful about making sure it doesn't fall in the mud. They, they will trample it under their feet. So again, what Jesus is saying is, is, you know what? Sinners are sinners. They wallow around the mud. They eat slop, and guess what? They like it. That's the difference between a redeemed believer and a sinner who has not been saved by grace, is that we recognize it, and we don't like it. They like it. And he says, until they become mournful over the mud that they're wallowing around in, be careful what you're throwing at them. If people don't recognize the value of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they come at you in a hateful, disrespectful, and even violent way, which is all possible, you have to be aware of that. You have to be aware of your time. And there's others you can invest in your time and your ministry into for the glory of God. It doesn't mean we hate them in return. 
We still love them. We still live our lives out in front of them. But you don't let them be a distraction from someone you can invest the gospel into. Somebody who wants to receive the good news. And you know those people. And he's saying you have to discern what is right and what is wrong in that case. In this shift of relationships with people, Jesus has really thrown a whole, whole lot on us. He's dropped a whole bunch in our laps. Because of misinterpretation, because of the way that, that we misquoted or misuse it, this is a heavy dose to take in on when to judge, when not to, how to, who to, who not to. All of these things are thrown in there. I guess really it comes down to one question. One question that I needed to answer for, my, for myself, so I'm sharing it with you as well, and hopefully you can apply it, and that is this. How does a follower of Christ rightly make judgments without being judgmental? How does a follower of Christ rightly make judgments without being judgmental? And I wrote 10 things down. One is check your motives in your heart. Why are you doing it in the first place? Are you doing it to lift yourself up? Are you doing it in a spirit of correction and humility and love to bring somebody closer to Jesus? Second is, is check your own walk with Jesus. Get that introspection before you go into inspection. Third, seek wisdom and godly counsel before moving forward. We don't have to rush to judgment. How often have you rushed to judgment and been wrong? Me far too often. Four, practice the golden rule. We're going to talk more about that next week. But that is do unto others as you'd have done unto you. How do you want somebody to approach you? Approach them the same way. Number five, take time. It kind of goes back to that seek wisdom. Don't act or react emotionally. Don't make snap judgments. We really don't have any idea what's going on in other people's lives. That's what I found out more and more. Especially on a Sunday morning, everybody dresses their very best. Well, most people do. But, but we, we try and put on a front, but the, the week that we have has been rough. The week we have coming up is going to be rougher. And we do our best to hide it, but it's not always possible. And then we get judged for it. We have to remember. Everybody has a story behind why they do what they do. And maybe we need to show a little grace and mercy for that. Maybe we need to six, pray for them. And even pray for yourself and how you respond to it. Seven, how did Jesus handle sinners? How did Jesus handle sinners? Look throughout scripture and see how Jesus handled sinners. Maybe we should do the same thing. And then, how did he handle the self-righteous religious people? That's where we need to come in as well. Eight, speak the truth, but do it in love. Nine, remember there's majors and there's minors. Don't focus on the minors. Focus on the majors. There's right and there's wrong, and then there's also different. Do you realize the culture is different? Do you realize... If you're not from New Mexico, is New Mexico different than where you came from? Absolutely. If you're not from Rio Rancho, is Rio Rancho different from where you came from? Absolutely. Is our church culture different? Absolutely. We have to remember that and take that into account as we deal with people, even in judgments. Number 10, God's the ultimate judge, not you. That's what we have to remember. We have to remember that. He's the one that will be ultimate judge. He's the one that will be there to say, well done, good and faithful servant, or I did not know you. That's not our job. Our job is to lead them to him. That is my challenge for you today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are and the way you continue to work in each and every one of our lives. And as we dive into this passage, and oh, it, it's such a tough one. When it says, do not judge, and it's so misinterpreted, 
that we think we should just allow everybody to do whatever they want because we're not in the place of judgment. But God, you've called us to judge, but judge righteously, not in our own self-righteousness. You've called us to judge, but not be judgmental. Help us to see the difference. Help us to apply the difference. Help us to live out that difference, even to the pigs and the swine and the dogs that are there to tear us apart. Because help us to share your gospel. Help us to evangelize. Help us to disciple because we need your strength to do it. Otherwise, we'll come up with our own excuses not to. God, we want to give you all the praise and the glory this morning and we want to see your kingdom grow. We pray it in your name. Amen.